Yes? I have my hands full, I said, <laughs> which I'm not sure he understood. But he said no more. I could hear a very faint thumping on the horizon down the road. The next day, there was a thin stream of civilians passing us. Most of them had already left this place up ahead, I assumed. These refugees had no sense of urgency, as one might expect, but moved with a terrible weariness about them. A mother on foot, carrying her infant, lifted her face as we passed, and her eyes seemed very old, though she was quite young. She was perhaps as young as my son. I could have been the infant's grandmother. I glanced over my shoulder as we passed, and she, too, had turned her head. I looked before me again. Edward was my only living child, Private Edward Marcus Gaines of the 108th Infantry, 27th Division, Company such and such. I had it written down in his letter. In a trench, in a place in France. He had no infant child. He and I faced something together here in this foreign place. The end of our blood. I thought of the young woman we'd passed and of holding her child just for a moment. Stopping the cart, and she would have stopped too. And I would climb down, and she would come to me, and she would say, perhaps in her own language, but I would know what she meant. Here, she would say, hold him. And so I would. And then I'd give him to his mother, and I'd say, carry him off now, quickly. There was a smell of burning in the air. The cart creaked in the ruts of the road. With each turn of the wheel, there was a sound as if it would break. This one-armed man next to me muttered under his breath, I assumed, to his horse. The explosions had ceased up ahead. I drifted into sleep, and for a time I was in Yonkers, tending my roses, and the morning was bright and quiet, and it was hot already. It was summer. The air hung heavily about my shoulders. In the dream, it was only me and the roses, and I was clipping the faded heads. I worked steadily, but the garden was full of dead roses. The scissors chinked and chinked with a sound like a turning wheel. And I awoke to tents passing and the rumble nearby of motorized vehicles with armor plating upon them. And I got down from the cart and found my way through a trail of foolish men who were astonished to see me, but compliantly helpful. And at last I was with an officer who had the authority to deal with my needs. We sat on reed chairs in a tent that smelled of grass and earth. My son had written, Mother, the men suffer here greatly, those who have been here a long while. These are the French and the British and the Australians, mostly where I am. I'm filthy already, though it's all right, because I feel like one of them. This colonel before me was not filthy at all. 
He was quite properly clean and starched, and his uniform rustled with gentility as he leaned forward and offered me tea. You found the right place, he said, sitting back and holding his own cup with a steady hand before his face. But I must ask you why. What is it that you wish to do here for your son? I had not put the question to myself with this sort of bluntness. The colonel reminded me of my husband. I had learned long ago with Jack to be prepared for the direct question. But he would ask for answers that were rarely as simple as he wanted them to be. I had not prepared myself for this similar moment with a stranger. I sipped my tea. The colonel waited.